We're moving quickly. This month has moved so fast. And uh, now as we're getting into the Christmas season, I wanted to, uh, to catch you up on this flow of, of my thinking, and you'll hear it in the sermon, is that we've gone into, um, uh, with a breakneck speed, into uh, a season that we always go into. And so it's so easy to take these themes for granted. But if you go back and think about um, what was going on in the first century, there were 400 years of silence from the last prophet, Malachi. 400 years of silence before God spoke to his people. They had the word, but they were waiting for the fulfillment of all these prophecies from, from Genesis onward uh, through David and Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. And so the series follows the theme of, of God's anticipation that the Messiah would come. But we mentioned early on that there is one who wants, who wants to destroy everything that God would want to do. The abuse of evil is to attack the very plan and the people of God so that they have no hope because evil hates hope. Because hope is the basis of your faith. And to destroy your faith, you have to get to the roots of hope. And so Satan wants to come in and destroy everything that would draw you to Christ. So we looked at that, the, the anticipation, and then we looked at the abuse. And then last week we looked at the appearance of Christ. It wasn't that Christ would be... Um, just here uh, as, a, as an episode, an event, a newsworthy item. This was a cosmological transformation that Jesus would leave the throne of heaven. And why? Why would he leave glory? Why would he come to appear on earth? In Islam, Allah sends the prophet. In Islam, Allah never comes. But in Christianity, God comes. And it's not his word. Appearance is his very presence. And so as we think about the presence of God, the, the, the audacity, the, the overwhelming awesomeness that what's going on here, it isn't just a news cycle that we celebrate once a year. It's a cosmological transformation because the kingdom of God has come in a little baby. Well, that story, that story, as we'll get into it, uh, you think about Christmas and how far we've gotten away from that original story. And the idea that God is going to come and he's going to do something, and when he comes, he brings peace on earth. That's the shalom. And the shalom means you can only get the peace in his presence. If you're not in the presence of God, you won't have the peace that passes understanding. And therefore, when our, in our thinking, we tend to think about God in strange ways because we've fallen short and we don't know how God works. And so today, as we look at the question, you've got, you've got the, the announcements, you've got the anticipation, you've got this horrible story that, that there's someone trying to destroy that, and then happen. And when God comes, when God shows up, 
things happen. And the question is then, this Jesus, this Jesus, this baby, why do some people follow him and some people don't? Why do some people go through lots of religious, moral, spiritual thinking and miss the whole purpose of Christmas? Why is it that some people adore him and some people can't stand him? This week I was with a gal and trying to explain to her uh, the hope of Christmas and I just found that her spirit was just kind of uh, non-responsive, kind of, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Oh yeah, I, I grew up in church, I've heard that before. Oh, that's just old hat. And there was nothing about the story of Christmas that would incite her, motivate her, draw her. And I thought, huh, the question is, why is it that some people love Jesus and other people don't? Well, as soon as I get my slides up here, they get those, uh, I'm, I'm flying by the seat of my pants, not really. I know what I want to say, you just can't see it all. But um, the idea that, that God gives his son, God comes in a human form, God comes in a way to speak to you face to face. And one of the things that we do in the Christian life, we tend to come out of, uh, what's the word, to make God a commodity that if we need something from God, we'll get the thing from God. So I need God's grace, or I need God's peace, or I need God's love, or I need God's wisdom. And so we, we go to God and say, I need, God, I'm, I'm having trouble with temptation. I need five pounds of strength, please. Or I go to the gas station, I need 16 gallons. Of, God, I need 16 gallons of mercy to get through this week. God, I need more patience. And we tend to think that God gives gifts God gives resources, and you tap into those resources. But once you get the gifts and once you get the resources, then you go on your way, and you forget the giver. And the idea is, if you tend to compartmentalize your spiritual world and your life, you only see God once a week or maybe 15 minutes as you get into the Bible. But God has a very small part in most people's lives because they don't see it as, as a relationship. They see it as a religion or as a performance. So as long as they're doing okay, they don't need to go to God for whatever. But the idea that God doesn't think that way. Because if he thought that way, as you think that way towards him, if he were to think that way towards you, he would be an abuser, a user. He just wants you to do something. And the good news about Christianity is God is not here to get you in line. God is not here to be a celestial servant to serve you and your whims. God is here for you. God is here because he wants you. He left the throne of glory because he wants you. But there are many, many kinds of Christians and there are those Christians in whom Christ is present and there are those Christians who understand a little bit more and Christ is prominent. But then there are those that in Christ, Christ is preeminent. And the idea that there are few who adore Christ to such a degree that when they look at God, they see something that the person over here doesn't or the person over here doesn't. So I want to look at um, the idea of the gift and the giver as we think. And so let me begin with that passage that Julie read, Comfort ye, 
Comfort ye, O my people, says your God. Speak ye kindly to Jerusalem. And call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received, she has gotten something from the Lord, from the Lord's hand, double for all of her sin. I mean, you think about, when you think about what God does for people individually and what he does on the inside. And so we looked last week uh, that when we sing this, the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, when you think about that song, when you think about that town, why would God choose a little town of Bethlehem? When you think about this no-name place, this out-of-the-way place, it's a little village. Can you see that up there? You can't see that up there. It's, a, it's, it's smaller than Chesterland. And it's just a, 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 a crossroad crossroads in the middle of nowhere and and God focuses on this place and so what does that tell you about the Lord? Why would God go to a distant corner of the world? Because God goes to the distant corners, the overlooked places and if God gets into the very corner of the non-famous, the non-popular, the non-recognized, that's where God works. That's where God moves. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't go to the rabbinical seminary or the monastery or whatever institution they would have. He didn't go to the leaders. He didn't go to the press. He didn't go to the entertainment industry to say, he's here. He's not out for fanfare. He's out for friendship. And so the way God works in a humble, humble way to know that there's something about Christ, that if you were to meet Christ, if you were to meet Christ, it would do two things. You would either be so drawn to who this man is and the way Jesus Christ relates to people, it will entice you. It will allure you. It will draw you in the sense of, who is this? Who is this King of glory? And what's he doing in front of me? That night, and that little town of Bethlehem, that, that silent night was not just a silent night when Christ broke through. It was, an, it was maybe quiet that evening, but the, the sound that you could hear throughout the land was a low murmur of tension. Because remember, it was Roman occupied, soldiers everywhere. You had temple guards, and, they, and the temple itself was not one that Jesus was interested in because they were political uh, appointees as well. They were spiritual uh, men who were politically placed in the, in the system. They were either Sadducees who didn't care about the spiritual world or the Pharisees who didn't believe or they were struggling and the Essenes, they were zealots. There were all kinds of conflict going on. But the point was that which the Jews Jewish people had at that time was not what Jesus wanted. So he said, I want to tear this down. There's something else far greater than the temple. So it wasn't just the political turmoil. And it wasn't just the military occupation. It wasn't just the spiritual bankruptcy. On the social level, you had all that tension in the, on a personal level. But on a personal level, on a personal level, 
And Mark read it this morning. Those who were sitting in the land, they were sitting in the shadow of death. They were sitting. They were sitting. They were sitting. If you sit, you don't move. You don't know where to go. You're passive. You don't know what to do. You're in darkness. There's nothing going on if you're sitting. And they did not move towards Christ, but those that were sitting, a great light dawned on them, and the idea that there was an awakening, a dawning, because God had moved into that darkness with light, and that light was the light of men. And the darkness couldn't overcome it. When Christ moves into darkness, there is either going to be this drawing out of the heart that says, I want, I, I'm, I'm interested, I want to respond to that light because Christ standing in front of you, not to change society, but to change you. And so as he moves into those personal issues, when Christ met the woman at the well who had failed miserably, in so many relationships with men, she said, marriage is a joke. I quit. I don't understand how my life got so ruined, but at this point on, I'm just going to live for the moment, for the man of the, of the hour. I'm just going to get through life until he, she met Jesus. And you know what she said? This man knew me. This man saw me. This man knows everything I did. And when Jesus Christ moves into a sinner's life, and they respond with a sense of, I am known, I am seen, and I am still wanted. Jesus says, oh, if you only knew how to worship. And the lady, the, the woman at the well, she found out because Christ came to her. Or how about the garrison demoniac? When men are sitting in darkness and become violent, and then they destroy they are destroyed by evil. The garrison demoniac, you remember, was cutting himself and the mutilation and, and he was attacking people. There are people who are really have no hope because evil wants to destroy your life while you're on earth and before you die. And Satan's having a field day, but Christ comes to the garrison demoniac. And when people say this guy needs to be put in prison. He needs to be taken out of society and locked away. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You don't understand. This man doesn't need to be locked away. He needs just the opposite. He needs free. And so Jesus went across the lake for that one man. And when Jesus saw him and cast the demons out of him, the man was sitting in his right mind. He was sitting in his right mind. When Jesus looked at the leper, and he had, he had a, a disease that the leper had to deal with, and he had to endure, and, and when the leper went to Jesus, says, if you are willing, you can make me heal. And with the withered hand, or leprosy, or blindness, or whatever it is, the answer was, I am willing. I am so willing. You see, Christ... When you see Christ or something that's going to draw you to him or something that's going to act in your life that's going to push him away. And a lot of people are sitting in the land. They're still sitting in the land. 
And they don't know how the great light is dawned. They don't know because they can't see. They're blind. Now the interesting thing, the interesting thing about sitting in the land and Christ moving in darkness is, is that when Christ moves, he does it in a way that's different than the way we move. For example, when the Magi came, when they heard the prophecy from Daniel on long ago, and they traveled those thousands of miles to Jerusalem, they brought gifts to the king. Gold, frankincense, of myrrh. These are adult gifts. These aren't baby gifts. <laughs> and, uh, and yet they recognized that this was a king. These were the Gentiles. These were the nations coming to Christ. They brought gifts to the king, but what they did not understand that the king brings gifts to them. Let me mention four of them. First of all, the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts that God wants to give you through his son is to deal with the issue. There's a handicap that blinds you to glory. What does God do with our sin? The gift is, can you imagine this, to lift off the burden of sin in your life, to know that that which is holding you down and blocking you from God, God comes and takes that away. That's the first gift. It's called the gift of forgiveness. And to know that God forgives you completely brings you into the very presence and the peace to know that no matter how bad we are, no matter how messed up we are, no matter how deficient, how, how weak in faith or how lack of discipline or whatever our falls, uh, flaws are, Christ says, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You are forgiven and you are accepted in the beloved. The second thing is an interesting one. I can't imagine Rachel and the trauma that she went through losing her child and the trauma of knowing that there's injustice, this shouldn't have happened. We live in a fallen world and we deal with all kinds of problems. But the second gift is that when Christ moves into sorrow and there's unattended sorrow, what happens in the human soul is you shut down. You shut down. When you have such pain or cynicism or doubt that you are paralyzed and you can't move, you sit in darkness. You sit in depression. With unattended sorrow, you feel so alone in the universe. There's no comfort. There's no hope. You've given up any desire. What happens with unattended sorrow is, is your eyes, you can't see except your pain. Your ears can't hear anything except the same tapes. I must have done something wrong. I, I just, your, your mind, your heart, your soul enters into a sense of regret and a, a deep, deep despair like a sheep without a shepherd, distressed and downcast, Jesus would say. But then your spirit, 
drawn to addictions, drawn to something that will alleviate pain because all I have is unattended sorrow and I can't live with sorrow. The good gift is God comes to attend to your sorrow. This little child knows what murder is like. This little child knows what rejection is like. This little child knows what hardship is like. He was born in that condition. He knows how to give comfort to those in any affliction so that you could comfort others who are in their affliction. But for one, if you have unconfessed sin and you have forgiveness and you have unattended sorrow, God gives you the gift of comfort. The idea that his, he's not going to send you a solution. He's going to send you his heart. And he's going to stay with you in, in that pain, to move you through that pain. Not only would you have unconfessed sin and unattended sorrow, but you have unresolved issues. As the issues block you from seeing the hope. Because you'll, all you can see is the issue. There are people who go through their life, and some people, if this is the problem, and this is God, some people look at God like this. They, they look at God through their problems, and they see the problem, and then they, see, they may see God, they may not see God, but they see the problem. But for those who see the adoration of Christ, they see Christ. They see Christ. They see the blood of Christ. They see the cross of Christ. They see the promise of Christ, and they see their problems through this and God can help resolve any conflict to bring about that peace in the heart so that that person who's sitting in the land could stand into any kind of conflict. And the idea that, that the Lord would move to give you that strength. How do you deal with, with unresolved issues in your life? God gives the gift of wisdom. And his Holy Spirit will talk about the fact that you have, you have one who's in your corner who will instruct you in the way which you should go. The last thing that we all have is that we have unfulfilled desires. And when you live with a heart that doesn't have what you want, there's an ache in the soul. Because what you were built to have, you don't have. And so there's an emptiness in a church. What does God do with a heart that has an unfulfilled soul, an empty soul? <laughs> he gives his very spirit. He gives the grace to know that when you look at him face to face, you are so desired. And the gift is not just I'm going to give you something. The gift is because you're present, I'm going to delight in you. And so you become the focus. And you, you become the joy. And the whole idea, you're not looking for fulfillment elsewhere. And as I've mentioned before, if God isn't meeting your deepest needs, then meeting your deepest needs becomes your God. And so when Christ comes, he gives gifts to men. Forgiveness, comfort, wisdom, and his very presence. But when he comes, he comes in this God with us, Emmanuel. 
But when he comes, he comes in this little baby. And the wood in that manger, if you were there, it happened it happened, if you were to pick up Jesus and your hand would slide across the manger, you would pick up a splinter just like you would go to the cross and rub your hand against the cross. You would pick up a splinter. It's a reality that took place in history. And to believe that Jesus Christ came is history. To believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again is history. But to believe that he to believe that he died for me is salvation. And therefore, in the Old Testament, in the book of Hosea, the prophet says, I will allure them into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to Israel, to my people. Hosea 2.14. And then in 15 it says, in the valley of Achor, in the valley of pain, I will give them hope. Jesus Christ moves into the very thing that we have no one who will move into the corners of our hearts. And he does so because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to see us sitting in the darkness. Well, this is the gift of Christmas. Christ came so that those who were sitting in the land would have that great light. And that great light would bring about a sense of joy and gladness. But sometimes people can't get there because their thinking has been darkened. And so at this time, where did Aiden go? Aiden's gone. So, all right, I need a volunteer. Thanks, John. Thanks for volunteering. I knew you would like that. Yeah, come on up. If I give you a gift, the thing about, the thing about the gifts is uh, I, I have a gift for you, tis the season, it says. Now, I want to give you this gift, John. Is it yours? No. I give it to you. I give it to you. Is it yours? Okay, well, you enjoy it? <laughs> well, I give it to you. Well, uh, is it yours? How are you experiencing the gift? You like it? Not until you give it. You know what it is? <laughs> I give it to you. I give it to you. So, now, look what he just did. What did he do? You have to reach out and take the gift. Now, okay, no. You got the gift. Now, are you enjoying it? Yes, I am. You are? <laughs> no, you're not. You don't know what. You don't know what. You just have it, but you don't know what it is. Right. Uh, are you enjoying it now? When, when will you enjoy this gift? Well, when are you going to find out what it is? Well, when are you going to open it up? You can right now. Yes, I enjoy it. So everybody, so they can see. Yeah, you're going to enjoy that with your family. Except... Except one thing, you know, when we come to Christmas, it's a gift exchange. It's a gift exchange. And so I give you the gift. And so what we tend to do, step over here. What we tend to do is say, okay, God, I, I take your gifts. I've got a gift back. And here's the gift you bring. Now, open it up and see what's inside. 
Uh, what kind of, is it, what kind of? Looks to be straight up out of the bathroom. Yeah, it's. <laughs> or your office, one of the two. Yeah. Uh, it's trash. A lot of people come to Christ, and what do they bring? Trash. You give me sin, and I give you blessings. Now, if I just to take, if I were just to take the trash, is that enough? Is that Christmas? No, that's pseudo salvation. Because what Christmas means, I don't want your trash. Your trash does not delight me. Your sin does not delight me. You know what delights me? You. You delight me. So this is Christmas. Thank you. You're a good object lesson. Oh, you can take that. The idea is that God will not only attend to your sorrow, he will attend to your sin, of course, but he's going to attend to the things that block you from enjoying that embrace of Christ. God's going to give you that wisdom. He's going to give you the spirit, and he's going to give you the love. If you give anything less than what Christ gives to you, you're short-circuiting Christmas. Christ came to give you not things. Christ came to give you himself. And that's the reason why when you come to Christ, you bring not your sin, you bring yourself and you give your whole self. Well, that's the good news. God loves you and is going to give you everything. And therefore, if you have received Christ, not only do you get this and this and this and this and this, you get the whole realm of heaven. For in Christ, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You get salvation. But you also get deliverance, you get healing, you get wisdom, you get the spirit, you get the Bible, you get the family, you get the church, you get, you get life in Christ. That's his gift for you. And you get to give it to others. He's going to make you like him. You will love like him, think like him, feel like him, sorrow and move like he does. That's the good news. Well... That's why we sing, joy to the Lord, the joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King, let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Those who have been allured by the grace and the love of God, they are the ones who hold Christ prominent, preeminent. They are the ones that are turned on to adore him. Those who don't know are still sitting in the land. And therefore they don't give themselves. They may just give the trash or look for God to do something else. But for you, as God's people, the whole kingdom is to be opened. And he's got lots of other gifts to be opened, day by day, step by step, as you stand up and no longer sit in the land, but you walk in the light. And we know you, so, Father, you are good. You are so good.
and we know you so little, and you know us so well. Father, thank you that you, were, you sent your Son, and we adore him, Christ the Lord, along with the angels and along with all those who've been touched. Lord, touch us. Move towards us. Let us see Christ this Christmas. For your glory and our growth, we pray. Amen. Amen.